Okay. Here we are. We have been walking through the Gospel of Luke for the last 25 weeks. Those are my notes. I need these. (laughs) I need these. Valerie was supposed to do announcements, but uh, Silas, you know, didn't want her to. So um, open your Bibles, please, to Luke 24. Questions like, how could Jesus have died? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer? Wasn't he the king God promised? It filled their minds. It filled the minds of the disciples. Were were Jesus' disciples, were were they sad? No, they, they were devastated. They were confused. They were filled with grief. And that is actually where Jesus meets them as they try to just make sense of everything that just happened that over the last few days. And he meets them and he says this, everything I told you while I was with you, it comes to this. What comes to what? The story in Luke chapter 24, it brings everyone who reads it to a crossroads. Everyone. You cannot hear the story in Luke 24 and and, and just leave it on the pages of Scripture. It It doesn't let you. Jesus died. Luke 23, Jesus died. No heartbeat, no breath in his lungs. He died on a cross, and it was intentional in every way, which means he did it on purpose. And then three days later, as we pick up in Luke 24, verses 1 through 12, we find this small group of women on their way to anoint Jesus' body, but they can't find it. They go to the tomb, they find the stone rolled away, and they encounter two men in, quote, dazzling apparel, who totally freaked them out, by the way. And these men, these angels, they ask a question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. Well, the women, they remember Jesus' words, and they run to tell the others. And when they get to the disciples, what happens is they don't believe the women. They don't believe their report. It says because their words seem to them like an incredible tale, like nonsense. And I love the honesty of Scripture. I just love it. This is an incredible tale, they say. But Peter, he books it right for the tomb. He heads straight for the tomb. He sees the empty tomb. He sees the the linen cloths. He walks away in this daze with his heart beating, just just like it's bursting out of his chest, wondering what's just taken place. And that is where we're going to begin reading after that. Verse 13. That very day, two of them, two disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a, a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, and they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And we'll pause there. We want to walk through Luke 24, uh, seeing three things. We see the two, we see the 11, and we see the nations. Jesus appears to the two, traveling on the road to Emmaus. He appears to the 11, and then to the nations, the two. They're on their way to Emmaus. Three days after Jesus died, are they sad? No, no, I want you to think they're baffled, they're confused, they're in despair and, and, and feeling grief and agony. They're thinking thoughts like, how could this have happened? It wasn't supposed to end like this. Verse 16, Jesus arrives on the scene, he walks with them. I imagine that show, The Undercover Boss. You know, Jesus is there, they don't recognize him. I don't know if he's got a hoodie, I don't know if he's wearing a mustache. Here's, they are kept from recognizing him they're kept from recognizing him verse 21 they communicate their hopes what do they say but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem israel you see they had seen their hope nailed to a cross in jerusalem just a few days prior but the irony is that their new traveling friend, the one they're explaining all the recent events to, is Jesus himself. They're telling Jesus what's taken place. They say things like, well, it's now the third day since these things have happened, and some of those who are with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus, in that moment, he lovingly rebukes them. He lovingly rebukes them, and then he graciously explains what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What is he doing? He's taking them to school. He takes them to school. I want you to imagine the conversation that they had on that road. 
Jesus explains from Moses and the prophets. This is it's just a shorthand for the Old Testament. He explains all the things concerning himself. And so, I mean, think about this. When you're sitting with someone who has more knowledge than you in a particular area, but that particular area really gets you excited, you're not checking out of the conversation, you know, checking your text messages and letting your your mind drift. No, you're honed in. You're listening. You're leading in because it matters to you. Well, what Jesus, though they didn't know it was him, begins to explain to these disciples, it mattered to them. And it begins to make sense in ways that they had never grasped before. And they want to hear more. You see, they had held a narrow view of Jesus' rescue plan. They had limited his rescue plan to national Israel. But it was so much bigger than Israel. And, and to them, you have to understand, to them, it was just completely unthinkable for the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that they were, were believing would bring deliverance, that he would be crucified and that he would die in such a humiliating and shameful way. Unthinkable, unimaginable. And so Jesus meets them in the midst of their grief and sorrow. He meets them in the midst of their misconceptions, Right? Right along in, on that road to Emmaus, he, he, he enters that conversation. Now maybe you, maybe you are filled with doubt, grief, misconceptions. You've got a, maybe a lot of preconceived ideas that are being confronted by the Bible because you've been hanging out in this church community and you're starting to see things come alive and it's confronting areas in your life, but you're still wrestling with doubt and, and all these questions in your head. Well, Jesus... He faithfully meets us right where we are, comes right alongside, just like he's doing here with these two on the road. He will meet you in that place of doubt. He will meet you in that place of preconceived ideas that are being smashed by biblical truth as it comes alive in your heart. Maybe you're wrestling with doubt. I'm glad you're here. Jesus explains to them the storyline of the Bible. That's what he does. He explains to them the history of redemption. He opens their eyes to see the Christ, the anointed one, throughout the Bible. And all of a sudden, with this big picture in view, the truth of Jesus begins to burn in their hearts. Because like a string of a necklace holding all the beads in place, Jesus holds all the stories that we read in Scripture together. Or like that missing puzzle piece, Jesus brings it to completion. Wow. You ever been there, you know, for that last puzzle piece? My, my family did a puzzle when we were all under quarantine and had to stay in our houses. And we never do puzzles. But there, there was that day for that last piece. And we were all like gathered around the table, like excited. Oh, wow. Boom. There it is. Many of the stories that we read in the Bible, we know them, right? Adam and Eve, David and Goliath. If you've read the Bible for any length of time, Moses uh, delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt. We know the story of Jesus healing people, even dying on a cross. We know all those stories, but if they're left as unconnected stories, we miss something. 
They cannot be left as unconnected stories. Do we see the part that each of those stories play in the story of redemption? You see, the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it tells the story of God's grace and his plan of salvation through Jesus. Through Jesus. So what exactly did Jesus say to Cleopas and to his friend? We don't know who his friend was. What is, was it his wife? Was it his buddy? We don't know. What did Jesus actually say to Cleopas and friend? Uh, we're not given the details, but I imagine it could have gone something like this. Jesus explaining from Isaiah 40 the promise of a forerunner in John the Baptist. Jesus explaining in Isaiah 53 the suffering servant and how he himself fulfilled uh, that role. Jesus explaining in Isaiah 61 deliverance promised through Yahweh but fulfilled in Jesus. Or explaining through Psalm 110, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, the promise of God's divine rule in divine exaltation. Or maybe did he quote Daniel 7, where we find the picture of one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with divine judgment and authority. Or did he talk about the promises given to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and that all who by faith look to Jesus become a child of Abraham? Or did he talk about the promise given to King David that he would always have an heir ruling on the throne and how Jesus himself is that one who will forever rule? That Jesus is the true Israel of God. The true Israel. Obeying the Father to the fullest in a way Israel could not and in a way you could not. That Jesus is the true temple of God where where we find God's presence, where we can enter his presence The place where heaven and earth intersect and we find healing and reconciliation, redemption and hope. That Jesus is that place. That Jesus is the true priest of God, the only mediator between God and man. Or that he's the true sacrifice, the lamb of God. That Jesus is the true king of God, ruling and reigning over all things for all time. Or that Jesus is the second Adam, that through one man's obedience we have life. I could go on. What did Jesus say? He had to mention something of these truths. In verses 30 and 31, we're given this then language that's similar to Jesus' last meal with his disciples. Jesus decides to come and sit down with them and share a meal. At first, he's like pretending he's going to go on to the next town. I don't know. That's kind of funny to me. No, stay. Come on, Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus. Come on, stay with us. Share a meal. We love what you're saying. We want to hear more. And what does he do? He breaks bread, and the language is similar to what he did the night before he was betrayed, the night he was betrayed. And so here he is, he, it's a symbolic act. And in that moment, what happens? He, he disappears. And they probably fall out their chairs. And in that moment, their eyes were opened. Just like that, everything changed for Cleopas and friend. What had been the saddest day of their lives suddenly became the happiest what they thought was the end of all their hopes and dreams, the death of Jesus on a cross, was the fulfillment of their hopes and dreams. Their eyes were opened. Have your eyes been opened? They said in verse 32, our hearts were burning when he opened the scriptures to us. Has your heart ever burned like that? Oh. Pray. Ask the Lord to do that for you. Help me to see 
all the connections. Church, this is a library, 66 books. But it's one story. And the thread that holds it all together is Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah. The one the Old Testament is shouting about and preparing the way for is Jesus, our deliverer. It's bigger than national Israel. They said our hearts were burning. Now, maybe you're seeing this for the first time, that Jesus is the thread that holds the entire uh, storyline of the Bible together, the story of redemption. So when the two arrived back at Jerusalem, they couldn't get a word in. (laughs) They couldn't get a word in. The 11 and the others were so excited to share that Simon had encountered the risen Christ. And then finally, they were able to share their experience on the road to Emmaus. But what's really cool is that despair has turned to joy as the truth of resurrection begins to sink in. It's just beginning to sink in, and despair has turned to joy. Okay, Jesus appears to the two. Now he appears to the 11. Let's read about his appearance to the 11. Beginning in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, boo. No, he didn't say boo. He said, peace, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled or come to completion. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, the anointed one, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance, or we could say total life change, the total life change and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning here from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The eleven. Uh, Of course they're afraid. They're scared half to death. They're stunned. They're pretty much paralyzed. You know that moment you're just you're waiting for someone to talk. Maybe you 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 see uh, someone you just never expected to see. Uh, Maybe it's a family member or a friend who surprises you, comes from out of town and visits, and they're at your door. Now you don't know to laugh or cry. You're so excited. It's just you can't believe it. They're right in front of your eyes. And you say, I can't believe this. How are you supposed to feel when something so out of the ordinary happens like this? They did not expect 
Jesus to appear. But he speaks peace, wholeness, shalom, calm, restoration. That's what he speaks over them. And in verse 41, it says that they disbelieved for joy and were marveling. So out of joy and amazement, they just couldn't believe it. Their minds are blown. It just seemed too good to be true. Put yourself there. Do it. Put yourself in that room. Jesus appears. You're stuck. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. What? And he is physical, but he is different. He does everything to assure his disciples that he's truly alive, right? He appeals to their senses. They can hear him. They can see him. He says, touch me. And then he asks for fish. I'll I'll eat something in front of you. In verse 44, the New International Version, it puts it this way. Everything I told you while I was with you, it comes to this. It comes down to this. It all comes down to this. It must be fulfilled. It must be brought to completion. It must be accomplished this way. And then Jesus opens their understanding of the scriptures. It wasn't a a collection of just a few isolated verses that that Jesus is pulling out at random. Like, okay, yeah, this one's about me, this one's about me. No, what he does is he takes the whole story from Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament, and and he talks about uh, the the prophets, the Psalms, right, Moses. Everything that was written about him, he he says this has all been pointing forward to something and, and would only come to fulfillment or come to completion and it would only make sense when God's anointed would take on Israel's suffering, but not only Israel's suffering, would take on the world's suffering and die under the weight of the just judgment of God on sin and then rise again. It only makes sense if that were to happen, and it did. It happened. It had to happen this way, and it just did. And that's what Jesus is explaining to them. Verse 46 He talks about what was written or is written. And and what is written? He says, well, here's what's written, that the Messiah, the anointed one, will suffer and rise on the third day. And repentance or total life change uh, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Well, where is this written? He said it is written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. And if you want examples of that, I encourage you to read the book of Acts. We explored the book of Acts several months ago, at least the first half of Acts. It's the acts of Jesus through the early church. And the early church proclaimed Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection by leaning on scripture, the Old Testament. So they would hold up high psalms like Psalm 110 uh, and other psalms. So read, read Acts and you'll see them proclaiming Jesus by leaning on the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read it when we uh, celebrated communion. Uh, Paul goes on to say that if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we are to be the most pitied of all men. Because if there's no resurrection, then guess what, church? There's no salvation. If there's no resurrection, there is no acceptance before God. There is no deliverance. And you know that Jesus, he becomes a liar or a fake or worse than that, a delusional man. If he has not been raised to life, everything comes down to this. Everything comes down to this. What does Luke 24 produce in you? What does it produce in us? What should it produce in us? 
I think it should, at the very least, produce in us a reassurance. It should deepen our faith. It should remind us that the resurrection is the reason why we receive forgiveness of sins and that we've entered into life eternal relationship with the living God and that we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's very presence with us. But it also gives us a framework to understand all of Scripture. What do I mean by that? We see a framework given by Jesus himself of how to approach Scripture and to understand it. That it's pointing to him. That it's fulfilled in him. Okay. The two, the eleven, this is what Jesus chose to do immediately after his resurrection to appear before two on their way to Emmaus and open the scriptures to them and then appear to the eleven and open the scriptures to them. And now the nations. He says, stay here until, until what? Until... Well, I give you what the Father promised. Until you're clothed, he says, with power from on high. We get that kind of imagery. To be clothed means you're not naked anymore. You're not going to leave the house without clothes on. That wouldn't be good. You'll get arrested. He says, stay here. Don't move forward. Don't, Don't go on until you're clothed. Clothed with what? Power from on high. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, will be given to you and will empower you to proclaim what you have seen and heard. So you need your clothes. You need those clothes. Now the assumption is this. They will go once they are clothed. We stand at the end of a long line of faithful men and women. And if we followed that line to the start, we would find ourselves standing with the 11, hearing the words we're reading today. If we followed that line to the start, we'd be standing with them in Luke 24. We're at the end of a long line of faithful men and women who were clothed with power and faithfully proclaimed gospel truth. And it was passed on from one generation to the next and reached one nation after the next. And guess what? We're the nations we've been reached. They've reached us. We've heard of Jesus. We've been transformed. Now today, here and now, local church St. Pete, all nations begins with the people in your life, your own sphere of influence, the people that are in your neighborhood, in your workplace, at your school. All nations begins with the city of St. Pete, the city that we love, the city that God has placed us in. All nations, though, grows out of that. But it begins there. And we're believing God to help us reach the nations. That we'd be faithful to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is here and wherever God would send people from us. And some of you will go to places I can't go or won't and not not, called to go. And we'll cheer you on and we'll pray for you and we'll support you however we can as family. But there's others like our brothers and sisters in Beirut who maybe they're going to be in Beirut and we'll never go there. I don't know. Maybe we will. We want to reach the nations. We want to plant churches. We want to see uh, God's, the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, proclaimed, held high. How are you participating in that mission? Well, let me tell you how. By participating in this local church, you're participating in that mission. But it goes further. What does participation in this local church then involve and look like? 
What does it mean to faithfully spur one another on in our faith so that we stand strong in Jesus and then we have the courage and the humility to share the love of, of God through Christ with others? But we need each other. You're participating in that mission as you participate in the life of this church. But how else? How else are we remaining faithful to the call to make disciples and, and, and to invest in the nations? These are questions we should all be wrestling with as a church community and longing for God to produce in us. There are too many people, church, there are too many people that are living with this fuzzy picture of Jesus in their heads and hearts, a Jesus of their own imagination, a Jesus of their own making, but we have the privilege uh, to bring them to the Jesus of the Bible and help them to come to the crossroads of Luke 24, to take them by the hand and say, see who Jesus really is, see his beauty and his glory and the hope that is found only in him. Do, Do you see it? I'm not making this up. I'm a, I'm a witness of these things now, empowered by his grace and love and humbled by it. I've come to see it because someone was faithful to communicate it to me. And so now I want you to see him in all of his beauty. And that's what we're doing here, church. We're holding Jesus up high through our community and through our lives and through hopefully our proclamation. And that's what we're called to. We're at the end of that line that began in Luke 24. And that line will continue for generations to come. I see it in my kids. The disciples thought Jesus' death was the end of their hopes and dreams. Truly. But Jesus' death wasn't the end. And his resurrection is just just the beginning. It's just the beginning. So what begins with a chapter filled with doubt and fear and grief ends with worship and great joy. Who are they worshiping at the end of this chapter? Jesus. They're worshiping Jesus. They recognize, finally, who he really is. And we are brought to a crossroads. We've come face to face with Jesus. And we see love and grace fall off the pages of Scripture, and it's disarming and it's also beautiful. Now we get to bring what we've learned in Luke to others. Never meant to keep it to ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Luke 24, the beauty and the wonder, the glory. The resurrection of Jesus, it's changed everything. What? What Jesus has accomplished for us, it's breathtaking. Would you, would you, Lord, make our hearts burn? Would you, Lord, light a fire in our hearts for, for Scripture and, and to see the beauty and the interconnectedness and how this is one story of redemption fulfilled in Jesus? Lord, help us to not shrink back and to be, Lord, now clothed with the Holy Spirit and empowered and come alongside our friends and our family members and speak the truth of who Jesus is in love. Would you help us to be that kind of community, a faithful community now to the call that you've given us? We thank you, Lord, for what we've seen and heard, for what we've experienced in Jesus through Luke 24. 
Lord, you know my prayer has been, Lord, for this church, that you would uh, encourage us and empower us and remind us. Lord, you know my prayer has been that you would bring salvation even today, that you would bring, uh, Lord, us all to a place of seeing the beauty and wonder of your word, that we would fall deeper in love, God, with what we see there in your word and with you. Do all these things and more, we pray for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Darren. Well, church, I, I believe that Darren is right. We are at a crossroads. I pray that when you come to the scriptures, all the scriptures, and, and the scripture, especially like this today, that you do see that you're at a crossroads. I pray that you feel that. I also pray that you feel your heart burning within you, that you would feel, I've got to do something with what I've just heard. So I pray that Jesus would show you himself in these scriptures. I pray that he would open your minds and that maybe you would explore this list of scriptures that Darren ran through today. Uh, You can open up the Church Center app and and look at the handout and see all the scriptures that he referenced today and just read them and, and you have to do something with them. So I pray that that happens. And I pray that you would be eager to take this to the nations just like he spoke of. Father God, you're good to us. We're grateful for all that you've done. We beg that our hearts burn when we walk away from this scripture. We beg that you show yourself to us and that our minds are open. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed, church.